Uh, welcome, Dr. Robert, uh, on Dhruv News podcast, and thank you for having uh, giving us this opportunity for being on our show this evening. Uh, how are you today? I'm for, I'm fine, Mary. Um, you don't have to doctor me; just call me Robert. And uh, I I always give this disclaimer, which we're forced to do in America because the lawyers are everywhere. So the disclaimer is that um, this is not medical care and uh, you should use this for informational purposes only at your own risk. And also, um, you know, if you, if you have, if you get sick or need, need a doctor, uh, find a licensed provider. So I, I'm sorry to have to do that, but it's, it's the nature of medical and uh, legal climate in America. I completely understand, completely agree with that. Uh, so uh, yes, I would like to begin uh, with all due respect to your career and you know vast experience i would say but what prompted you uh, to write this book from being a cosmetic surgeon you know towards such detailed version of uh, medical uh, facts and findings for butchered by healthcare what was the reason well i i through uh, two thirds of my career i prescribed bioidentical hormones and I always had this niggling feeling that there was something wrong with the way we were uh, uh, prescribing hormones. And in fact, um, many of these things have what uh, the FDA calls a black box warning on them, a warning of dire consequences and various dangers. And uh, none of it was true. And we, we have these huge studies, large groups of doctors who, um, you know, who review this stuff. And uh, basically the hormones are super safe and they are, you know, they're essential for people over 50. And they, they have many utilities for other things. They, there are certain kinds of cancers they treat. And we know about that. It's in the literature, but they've been basically abandoned in favor of very expensive prescription drugs. And the reason these hormones have been run down is they're not patentable. In, other, in America, we, we account for 75% of big pharma's profits because of these uh, drug patents and probably 40% of the uh, sales, vo uh, sales volume out of the 1.3 trillion gross revenues, the unbelievable gross revenues of uh, the, these pharmaceutical companies that are bigger than anything but any countries but 10 countries. So I, I knew that hormones were out of whack and I started studying that. And actually I began writing the Hormone Secrets book first and then as I got into it, I realized I thought I had opened a can of worms, but actually I'd opened a dumpster full of worms. I mean, the hall of medicine was just a mess uh, from the insurance uh, industry, uh, which uh, harvests uh, 20 to 25% of the total gross revenues off the top, right down to um, individual, individual medical specialties, which, which many of which were corrupt in some way or another. So, so that's how I got into it. And it just sort of became uh, an obsession for me to uh, track down all the leads. And uh, after three years, I wrote, uh, or I finished writing uh, Butchered by Healthcare, which is my book about medical corruption. And then um, I, instead of marketing that, I launched into finishing the hormone book, which I got done fairly recently. And that's also available on Amazon. Right, so what I would like to ask next is, how did doctors turn into influencers? Because this is a trend we are seeing it in fashion industry and beauty industry. But I was surprised to know that doctors are turning influencers just for fewer bucks. Maybe they make a little more over the counter and they're risking so many lives with their decisions. So why is this trend picking up? Okay, so uh, basically 
healthcare in America is now 20% of our gross domestic product, which is double all the other developed countries. I don't know what India's is, but Canada, uh, France, uh, you know, uh, European countries and Australia, they spend 10% of the gross domestic product. And so we spend double per capita per person. We spend double per person and we have a, we have a terrible record. We don't produce the cures and the, uh, the, the statistical uh, su successes that you would think this would produce. In fact, it is a big money churn and it's all generated by um, these uh, corporate entities which dominate American healthcare. I mean, I call it, it's like the medical industrial complex. Some people have coined it, that name. You know, they used to talk about the medical, the uh, uh, medical, the, I'm sorry, the, you know, the uh, military industrial complex. This is sort of the medical industrial complex. And it, it is now bigger than the U.S. government at $4 trillion. You know, we have $3.5 trillion in tax revenues, and I don't know what they're spending in addition, but it's at least the same size as the federal government. So they have their hands in everything. And it, you, you mentioned influence, and this is a key concept that people will understand, it, need to understand to, to believe this story. And that is that <clears throat> any exchange of money um, poisons the well. And in India, I understand there's lots of little corruptions. And I thought it was a terribly corrupt country until I fully understood what was going on over here. And I think you guys are, you're amateurs. <laughs> you know, you're amateurs compared to us because we have all these corporate corruptions and all this money changes hands. Every, uh, just about every healthcare uh, entity of any kind is on the pay of uh, pharmaceutical companies. And for example, we've got a regulatory agency, which is still regarded as the best in the world, called the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. But that thing is paid uh, two-thirds, roughly two-thirds of its revenues um, is paid directly by the drug companies through what's called user fees, which are um, given as the drugs are being developed. When this started in the early 2000s, there were many critics that said that this was a horrific conflict of interest and would lead to many untoward consequences. But um, the, the naysayers were ignored. It was put through at the behest of industry. And now they, um, these industry uh, uh, influence, influences just, uh, they run the FDA. I mean, the FDA cannot be regarded as an independent entity. Likewise, our other three-digit um, um, agencies, the World Health Organization, the CDC, there's a couple more. All of those things are essentially industry creatures. And that has a legal term, which means that they're entirely influenced and entirely bought off by the medical industry. And this is not just big pharma, it's the medical device industry and the various other uh, industries, the insurance industry over here. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that what you're hearing out of America is a wall of propaganda, and it's not produced by our best and our brightest. It's produced by these industry sources who basically don't care about right or wrong. They care about making money, and they, they have developed what could be the most profitable drug in history, which is this um, supposed vaccine, which has no... No, which confers no immunity whatsoever and only works for a few months to decrease the, the, the uh, problems with the disease. So um, again, once money changes hands, the well is poisoned. And I think Indians understand that, but people who take bribes are not to be trusted. So that's, that's influence theory and that's, that's a sort of where we, where we are right now. But bribe and all these things are like everywhere, not just 
US, it's like in India as well. It's a huge problem. I, I, I think I think you guys are amateurs. You know, you yeah. From what I've heard, you you need to pay your doctor outside of the system in order to make sure he pays attention to your father or mother. Um, but here, these these huge entities are extracting. Bribe is a legal term, so I'm not going to use that uh, term specifically. But they extract enormous revenues, um, and they they pay off. You, you know, basically, we shower money out of the sky on our healthcare system, and it, it was a very well-meaning effort. And it, it's generated by government and insurance companies. And it, it when when there's no one watching the payment sources many untoward um, events happen. And the insurance companies essentially don't care about the total wastage or anything else because they can tack more, um, they can tack the expenditures onto the top of the whole thing. They get 20 to 25% of the entire 4.0, you know, 4 trillion healthcare bill. And that's crazy. It's not done like that anywhere else in the world, as I understand it. I mean, you have some insurance for healthcare, but it's nothing like it doesn't dominate the entire system. Ours uh, administrates Medicare, which is our our, our uh, you know government administered uh, seniors system. It, it they administer administrate um, the private insurance companies, which is most of the rest. And I mean, it's just insane to let these guys at the top of our uh, at the top of the heap and take a, a double, you know, twenty percent, twenty percent of the total off the top. It's it, it it creates perverse incentives for them to waste and for for the entities to uh, you know who are billing them, like the hospitals and the doctors, to bill any conceivable amount. And the stories are, that are being spread around about American billing now by the patients uh, are just astounding. I mean, they're just astounding. Millions of dollars in billing for for nothing, you know, almost. So I, I I understand India is regarded as corrupt, but I do not think you're anything like as bad as we are. After after my study, because we have a systemic corruption, a kind of a corporate corruption, that eclipses petty thievery and on in an individual level that happens in India all the time. I mean, it, it's it. I feel very sad about it. Coming to the COVID situation and the COVID vaccination, which is like a huge debate going on, people for and against it. So as I read in the book, you know, uh, there are ghost writers, there are lawyers, and there are all these other people who back positive studies for the government just to make sure that people... Uh, and there is also fear mongering, like they create fake studies where they say, oh, this one, something happened and they died just because they didn't take the vaccine. So it's all that fear psychosis going on uh, along with the positive reports that they're projecting. So how is the situation and is the vaccine really effective? That's the question. Okay, so so um, I'm I'm not going to be able to dissect all these things out. So I'm going to I'm going to email you stuff to put in your uh, your show notes, and your listeners can decide for themselves about the truth of the matter. But um, uh, what what is happening here is these powerful healthcare entities. Now, remember, this is, the the healthcare is bigger than the federal government here. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. It's not you know, it's just it's it's so unbelievably powerful. And big pharma is 1.3 trillion dollars gross revenues worldwide most of it most of the profits 75 percent of the profits occur in the united states so so these people have more of an influence uh, more of a uh, incentive to influence the united states than anywhere else um, but what we're we're seeing is i mean 
I'm going to put on my tin hat here. Now, I'm just going to warn you for a second. <laughs> okay, a tin hat, it means that you're a conspiracy theorist. But as I studied um, healthcare corruption over a three-year period, one of the biggest gut punches I had, one of the biggest disappointments I had was that the um, healthcare industry, and particularly big pharma, dominates the internet messages. And they have ghostwriters who are attempting to even rewrite Wikipedia, which may be our last most reliable source. It's an unbelievable effort. And if you Google any disease name, you will encounter a link farm. You know, in other words, you'll encounter a central website that branches out to hundreds of other articles and this and that and the other thing, all of which are, you know, the vast majority of which are written by shills. And a shill is someone who is... Uh, who is just prepping, you know, he, he's promoting something for, for pay. And so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy scene. And we, for example, ivermectin is a drug which you guys are using very effectively to save your backsides from COVID, right? Over here, there, over the last uh, three weeks, they've, you, you can encounter hundreds of, literally hundreds of stories about ivermectin, ivermectin causing toxicity, people eating, turning into horses. I mean, it's just it's crazy. And I, I have, a, there'll be links in the show notes to dis, dis debunk this and show, show where these articles came from. One of the articles that I found, I screenshotted the front of it, and the link, it was such a ridiculous narrative, it said ivermectin causes sterility in men. And they, they took it right off because I don't think it was believable. But we have, we have hundreds and hundreds of articles being promulgated about ivermectin toxicity. Now, you're probably aware ivermectin is a Nobel Prize winning drug that is one of the very safest drugs we've ever had. It's been given to 4 billion people with a B. It's incredible. Hydroxychloroquine is also uh, exceedingly safe. And that, that drug is finally being accepted um, and, and used, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, this, well, there's like 250 studies on, iver, on uh, hydroxychloroquine and maybe only 60 on uh, ivermectin. And Japan, I read uh, recently that, I think I read it yesterday, that they just accepted ivermectin as a treatment for COVID. Now, no physician is going to accept the idea that these things are good antivirals, right, without thinking about them. And, it, you know, our my default uh, setting on my brain is nonsense. You know what I mean? Um, so I've read so much about medical corruption that I, I just don't, I hardly believe anything. But these studies are robust, and they do indicate antiviral activity. And I believe Peter McCullough, when he says that 85% of the fatalities could have been saved with this combination of nutraceuticals, including zinc and vitamin D, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, a few antibiotics and steroids. And it's, it's a combination treatment that is like cancer chemotherapy. It, it, each individual part of it probably would not work in isolation. But together, the thing it turns this disease in, from a, a fearful thing for some people into um, uh, something that's quite treatable and shouldn't be, we shouldn't have gotten so excited about it. And I mean, over here, it seems like there are political reasons they are hyping things up. It seems like a controlled thing. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy narrative, Mary Anthony. I mean, I, I, I hope it's better in, I hope you're, 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 it's better in uh, India. And I, I think you guys are doing better, at least with the ivermectin. 
uh, what i would like to say is here also it may be like politically uh, motivated the studies and all because i did read an article on new york times by an indian uh, journalist that the findings and the recordings were like tampered and they were made to suit the political scenario uh, in the country so it's like almost everywhere so how what sources can you really trust when it comes to medicine and let me let me tell you uh, first of my journey to figure this stuff out. I was in Trinidad, uh, which is half Indian, you know, uh, and I was stuck behind closed borders for five or six months as COVID started. And when they started talking about this vaccine, I just started to laugh because these guys haven't come up, up with anything that worked in 20 years. They have they have promoted um, what's called the human papillomavirus vaccine, which was completely rejected by Japan because 50% of the studies were concealed. They're allowed to conceal the studies because they know that they they, they own the studies in the current uh, and we so we pay them all this money uh, out of our public coffers. They do these studies, they conceal half of them. And they also have promoted the flu vaccine, which basically doesn't work. I mean, you can prove that to yourself by going to Cochrane Reviews, C-O-C-R-A-I-N-E Reviews, I think that's how you spell it, and look up influenza vaccine. That's the most respected source in medicine, and you can read for yourself what it does. I mean, it may shorten the disease by a few days. It doesn't seem to have any long-term, it doesn't seem to have much of an effect on the bad you know, um, results of influenza like pneumonia or the things that kill people, older people. So they, I knew that they had promoted these things that don't work, and more or less shamelessly. I mean, we spend billions on each each one of those things. Now, I don't think the HPV vaccine has caught on in India, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, we've we vaccinated most of the young people in Europe and uh, the U.S. with with the in in theory to prevent um, cervical cancer. But so I I knew it didn't work. And I was very skeptical of it, and I sort of followed the the stuff along. And I I was aware early of the evidence for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and I was shocked by the way that the the whole narrative developed and how how uh, th these things were discredited in the public eye, and how it became like a cult and the fear mongering and everything like that. I mean, you know, this disease, the average or the median age of death is something like 83. It might be 82. Well, the average age of death for everyone is only seven is 79. So these this thing is harvesting our weakest players for the most part. And uh, I mean, it, it just, you know, if you're if you think you can prevent death with medical care, maybe maybe you should hold tight to everything like this. But if you have a more healthy philosophy that um, that you know you're going to get old and die. Uh, maybe this thing isn't uh, such a bad thing. What we've I got, we've got twelve thousand deaths in the U.S. from uh, the vaccine so far, and and that's I mean that's pretty well verified. Every other vaccine, when they hit fifty deaths, we kill it. You know, but we you know the the the, the industry sources and the narratives are so powerful. They pr produced all this fear. And uh, it has produced a cult-like following of of the uh, the the vac the quote vaccine, which isn't really a vaccine. And um, I mean, it's it's a crazy thing. So sorry, go ahead. I I, I get excited. <laughs> no, that is fine. What I wanted to ask was, uh, since uh, this vaccine, like people are having doubts, like uh, is it going to harm the healthy cells, the ones who are already healthy? Do they really need to take it? And it's only the ones who are affected, uh, they need to take this vaccine. So what is the uh, debate? Could you just guide us? Well, I, you know, I, you, you got your listeners should list, look at the links. And it's not 
it, it's a bit of an effort to look at it all and listen to videos and all that and assess the credibility of the whole thing. Um, but it's my belief that this vaccine is a net negative for anyone. And it, the risks are, are higher. People don't understand they, they get a cancer, they think they need to get it cut out. But what if the, the operation has more of a risk than the than the cancer itself. And that's many times the case of prostate cancer and radical prostatectomies, just to toss out another example. But in this case, it's my belief and the belief of uh, many of the experts that the vaccine is actually a much higher risk than, um, than the disease. And uh, I think that, and that uh, may apply for every single age group. It certainly is a completely insane thing for people under 20. It's outrageous that we close the schools. They're not at risk. There was a review of all the fatalities and the people under 20 that was published. There's 430 of them in the United States and they checked the autopsies and every one of those kids had a horrible problem that contributed to the, their death. So, um, so, so the, it's, it's not worth it overall. And um, I think it's, it's very hard to resist. I have a friend in the, uh, whose kid is in the, uh, uh, submarine service, and they they forced they ordered them all to get vaccinated. There were no religious ex exemptions, um, and he refused. And he's getting getting hassled. He'll probably get thrown out with a dishonorable discharge. I mean, it's outrageous. Uh, but I don't think that the thing. I mean, the fight the despite the. I mean, I, and I have a close friend that had a stroke two or three weeks after he had the vaccine. He can't talk now. You know, he walks around. He looks pretty good, but but you know, he can't understand what we're saying, and we can't understand what he's saying. And it was, uh, you know, it was four or five months ago. So I don't think he's going to get a heck of a lot better. But I, I think there's a substantial risk to the vaccine. But um, I don't think that there's a, a plot to uh, kill everybody off in the world, as far as I can tell. But the push to vaccinate everyone here has rendered us very, very paranoid about some overarching, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, ideas about this thing so i mean it's it's an outrageous situation it's an it, you know if we had smallpox we had a vaccine that worked we had a situation where everybody should have gotten vaccinated now there are people who dispute that and say smallpox was dying out before the vaccine started and it was an actual history but it probably was a net very very positive effort we have these other vaccines that are clearly, they don't cause fatalities of any substantial number. I mean, maybe there's a few, a few, but, but they, they, uh, they, they obviously have saved many, many lives, you know, measles and mumps, rubella, those things. So, but this is not a vaccine. It confers no immunity and it's, uh, it, it has, uh, decreases the severity of the disease for only, uh, two to four months. And then it has no known effect. And that's, that gives them the chance to, uh, insist on, boosters that all cost money you know so can you imagine a drug that has to be given to every single person in the world i mean it's it's outrageous i mean even psychiatry in in america the psych drugs are given to 17 percent of us which is an outrageous number and it's they're they're far over medicated and there are very few people that actually benefit from that um, but even psychiatry's ambitions never went this far <laughs> you know <laughs> What I want to ask here is I've seen a tagline, healthy people are a threat to uh, pharma companies. So uh, is it, uh, in a way, we could say that uh, the young uh, generation, they didn't fall that easily for the pandemic. I mean, there, are, there were deaths, but not that easily among the younger generation. The older generation, uh, they were the ones who were badly hit with the pandemic. 
so in a way is this a population control kind of a thing <laughs> you know there are conspiracy theories to that effect i don't believe it i think it's i think it's about money and it's about social control possibly but i don't have any good evidence of that so i can't speculate on that but you know things are going the, the, these narratives this wall of propaganda in america and maybe the rest of the world i don't know about india i hope it's not like this over there but it's all headed in the same direction and it's it's irrational you know it's not based on the evidence or the science and um it's it, we've got we got propaganda spread that's more avid than anything the soviet russia's could ever do because we have the tech companies who are censoring the output of the social media i mean it's it's an incredible scene over here and i i'm hoping the truth will uh, out it seems that in the past few weeks the lawsuits against uh these various entities that are forcing vaccination have stepped up but you know i think the vac vaccine or the quote vaccine the concoction really i think that's a minor issue i don't think it's as important as the denial of these therapies which by the best estimates that we have would um save 85% of the fatalities. I mean, just imagine that. And imagine if that were true, if Peter um, McCullough is right, imagine the blood on the hands of the people who are spreading these um, uh, unfounded uh, uh, rumors that the, you know, the, that we shouldn't treat it in the early stages, that the treatments are ineffective and all this crazy stuff. You know, they, those people are responsible for millions of deaths worldwide and, uh, you know, tens of thousands of deaths, you know, may, maybe 12,000 deaths in the U.S. that we know of. So basically the deaths that occurred were due to the lack of medicinal uh, research or was it like on purpose then? I, 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 now, that's a very good question. And mm -hmm. the answer is that if there were good treatments that were acknowledged using an experimental treatment like this concoction, this quote vaccine would be certainly immoral and it probably is illegal under US law, but I don't, I have not researched that closely, but um, no one would approve an experimental um, treatment were there good treatments. Now there are good treatments. It was apparent there were good treatments from about the fourth or fifth month of the uh, uh, pandemic. Um, and so at that point, the whole thing should have shifted towards uh, prescribing these treatments. And I think the problems due to the vaccine are a very minor issue compared to the problems with concealing these, these uh, uh, effective treatments. So, I mean, that's the real outrage here. And that's the thing that's uh, uh, killing so many people. It's got to be treated early because the disease changes into something else as it progresses. It changes into a inflammatory process that um, can't be easily reversed. But in the early phases, you can take these things. It has an effect on the virus. And uh, but you know, I mean, it's it's a multi-pronged approach. I mean, it's uh, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, steroids, zinc, vitamin D. And there's something I'm forgetting, but um, you can obtain all that stuff before you get sick. And then I don't think you have to worry about it anymore. You're no longer a cult member uh, afraid for your, your scalp, you know? And I bet it's easy to obtain in India where you make all that stuff. We have to send off for, to India for it. Uh, so the thing I would like to ask uh, before we could wrap up is how did you get uh, all these facts collected for your book? It must have been a month's process 
and uh, did you interview all the people or were there sources like how did you uh, acquire all this knowledge good that's a that's a good question and the the answer is mary that all of these facts are sitting out on the street in plain view right there's nothing novel about anything i say now you, you know the doctors don't know about a lot of it but many of the medical specialists know about certain areas of it and you've heard the old indian parable about the uh, um the person who touches the elephant and is holding onto the trunk thinks the elephant is a trunk. And if you're holding onto the elephant's toenail, you think the elephant is a toenail. Well, the doctors and the rest of the public, they know certain parts of this narrative, but this is the first time it's been put together as a medical corruption source. And it, that's, it took three years to compile it all. And I did interview some of the people, but their works were, um, you know, they're on Amazon, you can buy their books and you can look at their references. You can go online and check the references. And so I've got, I have 500 sources cited in, in Butchered by Healthcare and a similar number for the hormone book. Um, but it's, it, it's nowhere near the, the literature that backs um, you know, what I say. And any, anything you have doubts about, just um, ask me about it. And since I worked on it so long, I can probably remember what, where the source was. Right. So uh, before we say the final goodbye, what is your message uh, for the viewers and the audience? Okay. So what I always say is that you shouldn't think that because healthcare is a mess that we don't do miracles, right? We do miracles every day. And about 50% of it doesn't work or actually is harmful in America. I don't think it's quite that high in India because you don't spend as much on it, but we, we've gotten all this stuff. So I would say you need to have confidence in someone. You have to trust your doctors. You should research everything you can. And you can, in America, you can always go off and see another doctor if, and you can even see them online virtually very easily now. And you can look at the best, if you have a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, you can see anyone you want. There are also uh, patient advocacy groups, and there are people that know more about those diseases than anyone but the finest specialists in the world that you can access for free. So um, not only should you not give up on medicine, I, we do miracles every day, but you should uh, verify what you do, and you should always try to be as respectful as you can. Don't, don't um, uh, uh, you know, just because someone seems to be wrong uh, doesn't mean that they don't have something to offer. So that's my final message is, uh, you know, be respectful and see what you can, uh, see what you can learn for yourself before you make serious decisions about your health. And this is critical for people who have uh, severe problems. You have cancer, it's complicated. You, you wanna research everything as much as you can. My book, Butchered by Healthcare, is a great uh, introductory source for a lot of things. It's got references in the ebook, which you can click right through. So thank you, Doctor, uh, for being with us uh, this evening and uh, enlightening us on the various topics. Thank you for giving us your valuable time. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure, Mary Anthony. Thank you. Thank you.